Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Weekday Wednesday, Tucson, Arizona's number one online radio podcast about all things medical cannabis. Your host, Bellstar. And the Cannabis Kid. Our show features news, interviews, and all the latest information about anything and everything medical cannabis related in Tucson, Arizona, and, and the, the world, world at large. We'd love to hear from you. Please give us a call live at 646-915-8421. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on all social media, or email thctucson at gmail.com. We'd like to thank Tumbleweed's Health Center and Studio C, along with our many sponsors for hosting our show every week. With the lowest price certifications in town, you'll find hemp products accessories, and all things related to medical cannabis education. Visit Tumbleweed's Health Center at 4826 East Broadway Boulevard or online at com. And remember, be smart, be safe, and educate. All right. Welcome to Weed Day Wednesday, everybody. November 18th for the bestie. I'm going to be old in three days. <laughs> so we're having a bonus hour this week for Stay Bastard. And uh, I remember when my dad heard 50. Holy cow, that was funny. We got like blues, and I think we got him a t shirt that said, over the hill or <laughs> old dirt, all sorts of stuff. May even have gotten a wheelchair for fun. I don't know, but it was a good time. And I can't really answer my question. So, after my story, I'm going to thank the CPD for nothing last night. Yeah. Okay, so. Anywho, <clears throat> let's have uh, happy times, and guess what, kids? It's almost Christmas time. I'm down the road. Got a little over a month. Get it going on. Five weeks or something like that. So anyway, get your. What are you gonna get your dealer this year for Christmas? Welcome to Wednesday, Wednesday, everyone. This is just gonna be a fun show. Um, maybe not even a whole lot of news because I just don't even feel like talking about the news. We might just have a dumb fun story time for the entire hour. I might just say some. The videos that I happen to like that make me laugh because it, I think I need to be laughing today. It just needs to be one of those days. <laughs> I did find Where did that come from? The gods uh, rained down last night. They were good to me uh, for the first half of the night, anyway. There you go. Anyway. Get ready for Christmas. Get the bongs out, kids, because this everyone's getting ready early. Um, oh boy, how's the sound? Laugh track. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> everyone's getting ready for um, Christmas early. There's lights going up. People are shopping. There's music on already. Decorations are out. I think people just need some cheer and uh, whatever you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever makes you happy and whatever makes you smile. Um, that's always that's what we want. Good time. Smiles and hugs. And let's give a shout out to Tumbleweed Health Center, 4826 East Broadway Boulevard. Uh, come on down if you want to get certified. And uh, if you have records, that's fantastic. You'll save 50 bucks. If you don't, you can spend your 50 bucks with us and get your um, <clears throat> medical records established. So come on down. We're Monday through Saturday. Monday through Friday is 10 to 6, and Saturday is 10 to 3. Um, we've got a whole lot of new products down there. We've got uh, some smokable CBD, which is awesome. We've got, <clears throat> we've got CBD hash. And, yeah, I know. Awesome. Um, so come on down. We've got pre-rolls, cigars. we got delicious chocolates. Yeah, they're they're really delicious. It's, it's, you almost just want to eat like two of them, but they're really they're they're um 
they're thick. It's almost like a, um, what do I want to call it? Uh, not fudge, but um, no, oh, I can't think of it. <clears throat> anyway, let's come down and get some fun new um, gifts gifts for Christmas. We put all our little pipes out. They're so cute. There's like a reindeer and a Santa Claus and I don't know. Do we have an elf? I think we have an elf. Elf on the shelf. Um, <clears throat> so get on over to tumbleweedsellcenter.com and check it out if you want to find anything out. Uh, we've got, well, no events this year, obviously. Uh, we've got a lot of great videos. Uh, there's a news section. There's a store. You can buy some products. You can listen to the radio show. We have a Cannabis 101. Uh, and um, <clears throat> it also on there talks about uh, the reasons to stay medical key reasons to keep your medical card, you're you're automatically in the recreational program. And people are like, oh, what? Yes. You're just in it. Um, so, uh, yeah, medical program. There's, you know, there's all sorts of benefits. You're, you're going to pay like 25% tax in rec, in rec program. <clears throat> less medicine, uh, less of medicine, you only get like 10 grams, uh, 10 milligrams per square, uh, 100 milligrams total per package. So um, I don't know what's going to happen with this whole one ounce thing. And you don't get employee protection. You don't get protection from your landlord. Yeah, it's really crappy. Anyway, so, but just keep your medical card. Um, you're going to have both. So you'll still be able to grow your six plants if that's what you're wanting to do. Um, I think a lot of people out there want to give it a go and try and grow. So good luck with that. Um, You know what? You can get on down to Grower's House at 3635 East uh, 34th Street. And they've got all your needs for growing. I bet they're very excited that this passed. Um, And then we have another sponsor. Uh, Let's get to our little, um, I've got a, a little track here I can find everything um, but I do want to give a shout out to um, Canna Health Online Digital Magazine Canna Health is a digital magazine focused on knowledge, safe access and advocacy with a monthly subscription readership it's loaded with scientific and clinical articles from various healthcare professionals profiles of cannabis clinics offering safe access to medicines national and local organizations open to the public, and real-life patient success stories. It's free to subscribe, so don't miss another issue of Canna Health. Yeah, it's really great. You can the link on our website. You can go um, to the radio section and scroll on down, and there's uh, Grower's House and Canna Health. You can click that link and get right to their online digital magazine. It's really awesome. Uh, let's see what else. So if you want to get certified... Um, and you have one of these qualifying conditions, and even if you don't hear your your condition, uh, it might qualify um, under one of these. Uh, PTSD, very specific. You do have to be seen by your psychiatrist, ongoing, um, and <clears throat> we have to have notes for that. That that is not we cannot evaluate for that. Apologize. Uh, or cancer. So cancer, glaucoma, AIDS, chronic pain. Severe nausea, seizures, including epilepsy, uh, HIV, Hep C, ALS, Crohn's disease, agitation of Alzheimer's, um, and that runs the whole gamut to dementia and everything in between. And with the Crohn's, um, IBS, you know, um, uh, agitation, uh, I see, cachexia, wasting syndrome, severe <clears throat> and persistent muscle spasms, including multiple sclerosis, uh, Parkinson's probably falls in that, um, but the all sorts of seizure types, and if you are being treated for something that's causing you any of these symptoms, you can also get your card just for that. If you suffer from one of these medical conditions and have been diagnosed by an Arizona licensed physician, medical cannabis may help relieve your symptoms. Tumbleweeds Health Center is Arizona's premier cannabis certification health and education center. Our primary focus is to help the patients of Arizona obtain their medical marijuana card and educate everyone about medical cannabis. With current medical records, approval is a simple process. Contact Tumbleweeds Health Center to see if you qualify for your Arizona medical marijuana card. 
That's right. Give us a call, 520-838-4430. You can eat, uh, Tucson at gmail.com. You can come on down, 4826 East Broadway Boulevard. We are now offering telemedicine uh, for those that have records. <clears throat> and um, we're doing that uh, six days a week. So come on down. All right, so let's see what's going on here. Um, we are going, I think we're just going to launch into some Doug Fine story time. Uh, and see, now I can't clap. I mean, I can clap. See, now I can't even put my laugh track on because I'm trying to find Doug's stuff here. Um, I need a, I need a second one. I need a second little uh, laugh track. All right, Doug Fine. Colonial growth okay. for textiles for a time, Dean said. Here we go. But his most lucrative use of the harvest was for fishing nets, so he switched to that. Okay, uh, American Hemp Farmer, Adventures and Misadventures in the Cannabis Trade by Doug Pine. And he's actually reading it, which is what I absolutely love about um, this. So he switched to that. The nets were woven from hemp that he grew right over there by the oxen. Colonial pivot baby. I find this consoling. Chapter 10. That's fine. How would the shaman bottle hemp? Vermont, 2019. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from a horse master. He told me to go slow to go fast. Mm. We live as though there aren't enough hours in the day, but if we do each thing calmly and carefully, we will get it done quicker and with much less stress. Vigo Mortensen. What's new on the last-minute complications front? I asked Colin Knoll by way of hello, tapping snow off my boots and hat. I did not do this gracefully, but I did do it gratefully. I had finally made it to the Jaguar family sugar house in the midst of a March 2019 blizzard. When would I learn to rent the right kind of vehicle in rural America? I had been ice skating for hours in another subpar crossover since my flight got rerouted from Manchester, New Hampshire to Albany, New York in the middle of the night. No big deal. Just was laid down 150 miles south of my Northfield, Vermont destination in whiteout conditions. We had a commercial kitchen reserved for the morning. Our arrival now pushed back half a day. Ever the optimist, I still stopped by Carrie's barn four miles from the sugar house to grab a big vat of hemp flour before catching up with my pards. A spoonful of maple syrup helps the processing hassles go down. Mm. Now that I was safe at last in the Jaguar sugar house, the maple smell and stove heat transformed me frozen fingers to shedding layers in 10 seconds. My eyes focused. The entire clan was in Aaron shoveling wood into the boiler, Carrie and 70-year-old patriarch Conrad precariously nudging the chimney into better position from a sideways perch eight feet above a hundred-gallon vat of sap. Carrie's wife, Kristen, and some cousins were scattered around the boiler, looking nervously up at them and offering periodic suggestions. I inhaled contentedly. This was all very promising. If you've ever been around maple syrup at its moment of birth, you'll understand why I say that the white-knuckled drive was totally worth it. When an enormous batch of syrup is ready, someone opens the sap pan tap and fills a thermos full. It's served hot in Dixie cups or, in the case of direct Mayflower descendants, shot glasses. It was knowledge of syrup to come, maybe the strict Hemp heart and cacao diet I had been following during the interstate drive was helping maintain equilibrium. But I was relaxed about the two hemp processing days to come. I knew that few elements of our long preparation for these next 48 hours would prove to be as dialed in as we had planned. Heck, this time plan B had begun before I even landed. I mean, how often does your airline new destination state during a layover? But if enough did go as we hoped, these days had a dual purpose. One, preparing 1,000 bottles of hemp in hemp, and two, jarring up a cauldron of Colin and Aaron's Vermont Pharmacy Herbal Sap. Both products would contain seed oil from our joint organic harvest. 
sure we were already supposed to have the harvest half bottled, but I never doubted our run would get done. I was ready for whatever the fun-loving universe threw at us along the way. The steeplechase resumed before I got out of my wet socks. I wish I had better news, Colin said as I sat and started to disrobe. But the folks over at Victory say our seed oil pressing has an unusual taste. I heaved an immense sigh of relief. I had experienced this before. Victory Hemp Foods were the folks pressing our seed oil for us. They had a facility in Middlebury, Vermont. That's not bad news, I said. First, better or different, baby. That's samurai. It's not unusual to my taste buds. It's just more full-bodied than the seed cultivars most North Americans have been pressing so far. I stood up to step out of a layer of long johns and pointed to the sap pan. Like amber versus very dark syrup, stout versus pale ale, a hemp flavor for every palate. Okay, cool, Colin said, nodding. Then his smile faded a notch as he noticed the pronounced limp I was sporting. Did you remember what I told you about the barn floor? Needless to say, there had already been additional complications during those first hours in Vermont. It was only as I skidded into what I hoped was the side of the Jaguar barn two hours earlier that I recognized the magnitude of the shoveling that would be required just to reach our harvest. I was pretty sure that I could tell where the barn door was. While I dug around in my luggage to find my mittens, I was relieved to see the Yeti-like form of Carrie approaching, carrying two shovels. Watch out, that floor is a hockey rink. Really, really slippery. The 31-year-old Colin had warned me on the phone when I'd pulled over for a stretch outside of Killington on the drive north. You won't see the ice because it's so clear and flat. Then, just a few hours later, the moment we chunked out the barn door enough to pry it slightly open, Carrie repeated that warning, right down to the two reallys before Slippery. <clears throat> and still, unsurprisingly to anyone who has spent an hour working around my Clouseau-like life, on the second step, I slipped magnificently and found myself resting on what I knew from my kids' Spanish lessons are called Las Nalgas. Actually, only on the left nalga. The right one was wedged against one of our samurai flower bin shelves, millimeters from knocking 150 pounds of it onto the icy floor. A good portion of 10 months of work by four people and tens of thousands of plants came inches from spilling. When I related the anecdote to Colin in the sugar house, Carrie summed up hemp entrepreneurialism and possibly life by shouting from his ceiling roost, I learn every lesson the hard way, including the slippery barn floor one. Just as golf is really three games, driving, short game, and putting, so you're essentially starting spring training afresh on the first day of any new stage in the hemp process. Getting the cobwebs out, that's how I looked at that resulting bruise over the coming days, as a reminder that we're all beginners every time. Fresh maple syrup helps you forget a bruised body. In Vermont, sugaring is the key family and community bonding time. I think the idea is cabin fever is setting in. Might as well all gather together so we can have witnesses. Plus, let's see if we can't tone it down a notch by flooding our systems with glucose. I think overall it's a good system. Any vestige of ritual keeps a culture alive. It's the sugaring and the autumn wreath-making that keeps this family together, Kristen, who is an early preschool educator when not sugaring or making wreaths, told me. This is the same when it's time, it's time role I hope my ranch's goat rituals and hemp cultivation inspire in my progeny. And rural Vermonters are learning fast that sugaring can overlap with hemp processing. For my part, the processing window was narrow. I had a series of live events coming up in the ensuing weeks, plus a waiting order for hemp in hemp from my New Mexico food co-op, and I was out. Even at home, we were down to our last bottle. Erin and Colin were getting low on their salve too, which, on brand alert, infuses its cannabinoids for a full moon cycle. For the 2019 hemp in hemp run, I was scaling up slightly, but once again processing what felt like a manageable amount. This batch of three-ounce bottles would, when it sold through over the course of probably a year, given my limited time for marketing, 
gross my family $50,000. I'd estimate the eventual net at $20,000. We give a lot of bottles away. Then there's the cost of the bottles, caps, graphic design, labels themselves, web work, testing, permits, organic certification, accounting, legal, storage, and shipping. But not genetics, because we own them, as free farmers always have. And now, I'd be sharing revenue with my new retail partners out west, part of the five-year plan. The question I wrestled with in the sugar house was, was I really about to extract two family members from their clan's principal annual activity for two entire days? There was a septuagenarian swinging from the ceiling, for heaven's sake. But everyone at Chateau Jaguer seemed to understand a key point, that I used to feed both the sweet tooth and the endocannabinoid system. These are two essential dietary services for humankind. Extraction methods old and new. The best part of processing hemp for two days in the mountainside commercial kitchen that Colin had booked was seeing and smelling two hemp product lines derived from the same crop bubbling forth in side-by-side cauldrons. Okay, monster pasta pots. I'd even call it a top 20 moment in my working life. I love the crazy shift in scale that occurs when you go from being a customer to a producer of anything. Broccoli, hemp massage oil, compostable hemp plastic paper clips, whatever. Instantly, it's about tons of product rather than, honey, did you bring the produce bags? A hemp customer for two decades, suddenly I was in an apron and gloves with 1,000 empty bottles smiling up at me from a shiny metal counter. Even with my considerable omega-3 and cannabinoid diet, I unboxed that sealed glass. This was an amount to be hard-pressed to argue for personal consumption. No longer would we be buying 16-ounce bottles of hemp seed oil. Grateful as I've been for this superfood for decades. Now, we're thinking in terms of proof stores for multiple tons of hemp and flour. First path or some field I to make some more pot wanted to use when I carried full bottles down the same path 48 hours later with the roof eve icicles a few inches closer to the ground I was a craft commercial provider another reason this hemp processing run ranks so high is because the product that wound up in those bottles represented the regenerative economy manifesting in the real-world marketplace. I had the opportunity to practice in the processing stage of the season everything I'd learned about plant pace over the course of the year. It was my hope that the resulting mindset, method, and love would show up in the product. It's no accident that we speak of returning to our roots The moment I accepted that I was about to dedicate two days of my life to preparing product, I relaxed, shifting out of fifth gear even as we fired up the mammoth stovetops. Confront a human living at multitasking, finger-swiping speed with the methodical pace of a plant's life cycle, and he often finds it pleasant. I think this is why so many military veterans, from George Washington himself to today's resource war vets, rediscovered their sanity in farming. It's also a quality of workmanship issue, taking pride in your craft. The way I like to make hemp products is deliberate, time-consuming, and small batch. This is not to discount the many positives of digital age conveniences. The key now is, like good primates, to learn and build from the obvious missteps of the industrial centuries, including the main one, not embedding regenerative processes in our society's economic and agricultural pipelines. Accordingly, my first question when embarking on any stage of the hemp process is, what has always worked? Another way of asking this is, what would the shaman do? and what humans have always been able to do in order to extract the healthy, tasty, or otherwise useful parts of a plant is to heat it up in a lipid. Thus, when attempting to capture these values in a bottle, as I've already revealed, I'm an unapologetic fan of decarboxylation. I'll relate our step-by-step process 
on that mountain in Vermont, which basically involved combining the hemp seed oil and the flour from the same plant, heating the concoction, and subsequently becoming druids. But to provide options, I'll also run down the other four of my personal top five regenerative cannabinoid terpene flower extraction methods. The three biggest factors that will affect your enterprise's choices are the quantity of product that you'd like to produce, how quickly you'd like to produce it, and equipment costs. Decarboxylation. When you heat hemp flour just right, you remove a carbon atom from your cannabinoid molecules, such as CBD or the one I so love seeing come back in testing samples, CBC. Hence the term decarboxylation. You'll recall that this atom removal transforms a cannabinoid from its acid form to its active state. The procedure is so tried and true, so ancient, even being alluded to in biblical priestly anointing oil passages, that I wonder if the term processing, given its association with slices of prepared cheese-like product, is apt. It just doesn't feel true to the double-double toll trouble life that we live for those shivery 48 hours in that 2019 storm. The other component of decarboxylation that I love is that you transfer all your cannabinoids and terpenes in pretty much the exact levels and ratios in which they're found in your flower. Given that in five years, tops, some piece of well-publicized research is going to launch that cannabinoid 42 we'd never heard of to next big thing at us. I'm a devoted fan of this mode. I believe it's likely that many of us benefit most from the interaction of these hundreds of compounds in a whole plant extract. By contrast, as we touched on earlier, some early CBD customers are being trained to ask, how many milligrams am I receiving of this one cannabinoid per serving? That might be relevant on the explicitly medicinal side of the plant's applications. Soon, though, as we begin to connect the dots on the nutritive and health maintenance sides, I think more of us will ask, what are the cannabinoid and terpene ratios in the source flower, and how were they extracted? The bottom line performance I experience in my own body and mind is the main reason why, in a volatile cannabinoid, I utilize the whole plant. And it's the reason I don't discuss cannabinoid isolate much other than to disclose that current gold rush prices for CBD isolate are hovering around $20,000 per kilo. Under ideal conditions and with extremely processing, you could produce 20 or more kilos on an acre of flower-only hemp if your cultivar produces 10% CBD. Remember that if you don't own the processing You'll either pay for toll processing or have to sacrifice a percentage of the harvest, just as during feudalism. Still, we're talking about a six-figure gross per acre if current prices hold. Some folks, as we've seen, are already in the market for emphasizing or isolating cannabinoids other than CBD, such as CBN. For his part, Edgar is keen on CBG because chemically, it's the building block for all other cannabinoids, the source code. All the other cannabinoids regurgitate from that one, he told me way back in 2016. So if we breed for that, we stay in the game, no matter what other cannabinoids become desirable in the marketplace. As CBG is already worth $25,000 per kilo in today's market, Edgar was not swimming blindly. Because fewer farmers are growing for it, we might see its wholesale prices hold longer than CBD's inevitable correction as markets mature and supplies increase. Notice that Edgar speaks of breeding for a particular cannabinoid profile, not isolating it by a machinery. He enjoys, as do I, working toward desirable components as part of a cultivar's whole plant profile. I'd love to develop a cultivar whose flowers display CBC in a one-to-one -one ratio with CBD and some of the funner terpenes like myrcene and pinene. It's just my preference. I love grape and pine tree scents a breeding mission onto which I stumbled by chance or plant's choice my own hemp diet. Everybody's body is different, and no one's body chemistry is static. Okay, I've disclosed that a market exists for isolated components of the cannabis flower, and that in most circumstances, I wouldn't spend my money on these isolates. But then, I am in the entourage effect business, not the CBD business. Cold ethanol. 
One reason that cold ethanol extraction is on my approved list is that it's still a pretty tried-and-true technology. Indeed, one of several processing modes the FDA considers low-risk when done right. But it's a faster, larger-scale mode of getting those cannabinoids from the cannabis flower. The end result of running raw flour through the ethanol process is crude, that luscious, sticky caramel goop we discussed earlier. This is isolate's precursor. Like decarboxylated flour, crude contains all of your flour's original compounds, though much concentrated. It can go into your own products, be sold to others who want to isolate the CBD with chromatography equipment, or be white-labeled to folks add your crude as an ingredient in their own products. I believe products resulting from ethanol crude processing can be bioavailable, and I think the process is in accordance with regenerative practices and values, especially if your facility is powered. Energy choices are a vital part of the process for the regenerative entrepreneur. A cold ethanol processor can be a tabletop unit or, as with Dexter Rice's ceiling high behemoth at nature's love, much fancier. Either way, modern ethanol processing is when you take off the shaman's tunic and broach the alchemy era. You start busting up the beakers and plugging things in. You check pressure gauges and deal with flammable materials. Margaret Flewellen uses cold ethanol extraction for her natural good medicines lines of tinctures in Oregon. I've studied and filmed her processing MO since 2015, starting when she had the simplest model from Eden Labs, Seattle. Here's how this kind of processing works. Margaret loads her ground-up flower material grown 100 yards away by Edgar into a finely netted bag. Bag goes inside a glass dome containing a condenser. Very chilly ethanol alcohol, negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit, rains over the flower. The ethanol acts as a solvent, removing the cannabinoids and terps that reside in the flower's trichomes. Upon filtration, the process concentrates these to about 50 times the level of the flower itself, but in the same ratios. The alcohol filters out by a vacuum process and can be reused multiple times. There are some other nuances involved in the process, such as whether you want all your plant's chlorophyll and waxes removed from the crude. If you do, the extracted product is often called full spectrum rather than whole plant. One option a bootstrapping enterprise might consider is devoting some of its flower harvest to producing a value-added product and some to producing wholesale crude. This is a viable hedge if wholesale prices hold for a few more seasons. I know several farmers who employ this type of strategy. Plus, small-scale cold ethanol processing equipment can be feasible to own for a self-funding entrepreneur. For Margaret, the hardest part of ethanol processing is managing growth. Natural Good Medicines has upgraded processing equipment three times in five years as Margaret's business has expanded. It takes about eight hours to process 48 pounds of flour in our latest machine, Margaret told me. We lose about 90% of the mass in the extraction process, leaving us with a crude that, depending on the source flour, is roughly 7% THC and 70% CBD. If we All right, you're listening to Doug Fine right now. And this is We Say Wednesday, for those of you out there. Uh, I'm going to play my favorite song right now. Puff, 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 puff.
But shit, it was 99 cents. I'll be blazing and smoking it. About to go and get some munchies next. Passing up on those cracker jacks. Reese's pizzas are where it's at. Gotta get me some soda. Pop cotton mouth has been creeping up. I can't remember where I put my keys. Yeah, that's what's up. I'ma take your grandpa's ride. I'ma take your grandpa's ride. No, for real. Ask your grandpa. Can I take a 65? Seville cruising to my local Publix. Nothing better than rolling with two super fly chicks. They have frozen burritos. I bought frozen burritos. I bought some Ben and Jerry's. And then I bought some Cheetos. Hello, hello, my main man Obama. A couple states have just reformed their laws on marijuana. What you gonna do? Send the feds there? Hell no. The DEAs would be like, ah, oh, they got volcano. I'm gonna smoke some weed. Only got $20 in my pocket. I'm a hunt, looking for a pot shop. This is fucking know about the science of marijuana what you know about people suffering from glaucoma they need it they need it it helps them with their condition if you don't believe me then just ask some eye physicians thank your granddad for voting for that guy richard nixon is the president who made the plant illegal but science is now showing that it's medicine for people and the private sector fighting to keep all of that illegal alcohol and tobacco pharmaceutical prisons i'll take those four major lobby groups and fight those motherfuckers they're making money day and night all those motherfuckers and bribing congress out of sight all those motherfuckers They'd be like, oh, it's immoral and unhealthy I'm like, how many people are you making wealth? Anti-marijuana lobbies are making all kinds of profits And they don't want you to stop it because of all the special interests I call that getting swindled and pimped shit I call that getting tricked by the government That law's hella old So it's time to update it, regulate it, and then get it under state control Peak game, look into my political telescope Think it's gonna stay like this forever? Not hella won't Not hella won't Being a hypocrite, you used to smoke weed, fool. I'm gonna smoke some weed, only got $20 in my pocket. I'm a run, looking for a pot shop, this is fucking awesome. Let's end the war on drugs, it's time to pull the plug. These special interest groups are nothing more than corporate thugs. Let's end the war on weed, the people have agreed. All right, welcome back to Weekday Wednesday, y'all. We're hanging out for the birthday bash of mine. Um, smoking slow G Kush and listening to Doug Fine. Adventures and Misadventures, uh, American Hemp Farmer, Adventures and Misadventures in the Cannabis Trade. So that's what we're doing. Sit back, relax, hope you warmed up your coffee or tea or whatever you're having. And here we go. It takes about eight hours to process 48 pounds of flour in our latest machine, Margaret told me. We've got 9% of the mass in the extraction process, leaving us with a crude that, depending on the source flour, 7% THC and 70% CBD if we start with flour that had 0.2% THC and 11% CBD. Embedded in these numbers is the reminder that the ethanol process concentrates all your plant's cannabinoids, including THC. Assuming you don't want higher THC levels in your product, meaning you aim for your product to meet current hemp definitions, something ready for customers of all ages you have to dilute it back down. Margaret said it's not hugely expensive to purchase a starter ethanol unit, $11,000, and the prices can get up to $275,000 for the largest commercial scale unit. Under the guidance of engineer Bill Althaus, the folks at the Fat Pigs have jury-rigged their own ethanol processing technology. Dexter Rice's $175,000 unit processes 175 pounds per day. Operating according to GMP, Good Manufacturing Practice Standards for food-grade products, is a cost and a challenge I would warn anyone considering a small processing operation about, he told me. It's not that easy to self-learn. I wouldn't underestimate the time and energy that go into it. This sage wisdom is true for all. In analysis, The big advantages of cold ethanol processing are volume and speed. You can probably make 10,000 units the amount of time it takes me to make 1,000 
of my decarboxylated product, water or ice extraction. This type of solventless extraction has a place. Ganja processors will know it as the bubble hash process. What it does is remove the trichomes from cannabis flower with water and elbow grease. The flower is physically stirred by hand or machine, and the water or ice is filtered out via screens or mesh bags. Copper steam distillation. Distillation passes the shaman test and can provide a nifty mode for extracting alternative components of the flower, such as essential oils. I feel so bad for my colleague in Hawaii, Lely V, who is such a mistress at this mode that folks always want demos, so she's forever toting her giant copper distiller to conferences. More than once, I've crossed paths with her at an airport or farmside event and found myself carrying shards of copper sheeting for her. Or rosin extraction. Lastly, if you really want to be an opposite of a processor, the pressure extraction mode used for centuries by the keef makers in the hills of Morocco's Rift region can be topped. You apply just the right amount of mild heat and tough love with a press or in some traditional modes, a beading wrapped flower with a stick to the desirable oils from cannabis flowers. Remember our farmer friend we met at the United Nations, Adabibi Abdelayev? That's his production mode. Here in the West, the resulting product is known as rosin, and it's increasing in popularity as a high-end solvent-free processing mode. There are easily a half dozen commercial rosin presses on the market, though you might want to head to the Rift region to see how it's always been done. A processing mode that doesn't fit as well under the whole plant umbrella is carbon dioxide, sometimes called supercritical extraction. That's because while it's very high volume and a clean method when it comes to solvents, the process can remove too much of the plant's terpene profile. You can re-add terps and other desirable parts of the plants later so it's not a total disaster, but why use a process that removes them in the first place? Off the list entirely are butane, propane, or anything ending in ane or ene. Anything done with petrochemicals is a non-starter not just because of potential solvent residue in the resulting product, but because we're trying to wind down the dinosaur juice era as a species. In the end, I employ decarbing exclusively for my own product, not just because it's been field tested for millennia, and not just because you end up with the original levels and ratio of all your cannabinoids, but also because as long as you're paying attention and have better balance than Inspector Clouseau, it's so dang simple. It's just heat. How much heat and for how long matters a lot, though. Also, you produce far less product than most other modes, and it takes a lot of time. So decarbing is overall best suited for small-batch, top-shelf products, which is what I make commercially and personally. It's what I eat in the morning goat yogurt, and it's what I rub on muscles sore from corralling infuriating goats and much less maddening hemp work. Now, we're ready to reveal how we remove that carbon atom to create the Hemp in Hemp product run in 2019. Goop is good. Among the supplies Colin, Aaron, and I toted into our kitchen were 27 gallons of hemp seed oil in six 4.5-gallon jibs fresh from the Victory Hemp Foods presses. Hemp and hemp being both a seed and a flower product, we had a multi-step process in front of us prior to bottling. First, prepare the seed oil, then infuse the flower in it. Experimenting with hemp seed oil as a decarb lipid was pure Dolly Parton, the result of having access to a farm-side seed oil press and not having many other options. Organic coconut oil would have been very expensive. Otherwise, I might not have discovered what an ideal and low-carbon-mile base hemp seed oil makes for a cannabinoid terpene product. Because we're working toward an edible product in future seasons, what's really exciting is that the combination of seed and flour encourages both superfood and health maintenance qualities. Plus, how fun to utilize more than one part of anything these days, let alone a plant. When coming up with the idea for Hemp in Hemp two years earlier, 
I didn't know anyone else who was immersing flour in the seed oil from the same crop. Now it seems to be catching on. Our friends at Salt Creek use hemp seed oil, albeit not from plants they grow, as the base for their whole plant 42 brand capsules and 11 acre products. They grow the flower. I hope many more join the parade. This is the open source era. Feel free to recreate hemp and hemp in your ecosystem, in your regional economy, with your cultivars. If you grow organically, I'd love to try your offering. Following the snowy 2018 harvest, as with previous seasons, we first had to press our seed. Actually, first we had to send off a sample to make sure it passed its microbial test, which it did. As we no longer had access to a seed oil press, I got on the horn with Chad at Victory Hemp Foods. As with ethanol processing of flour, you lose the majority of your mass in the seed pressing process. A 40 gallons hemp seed oil from 400 pound seed. Our seed oil was darker than what you find in bottles of most North hemp seed oil options at this moment. Holding a clear bottle of it to sunlight, what I see reflecting back is luscious olive goodness, all 20 amino acids and three essential fatty acids. Dark though it was, our 2018 oil was not as dark as the earlier pressing of hemp in hemp. That's because in 2018, the seed we used wasn't exclusively our samurai. Since the seed itself was both limited and in demand for its genetics, we asked the good folks at Victory to mix our samurai seed with their U.S.-grown organic hemp seeds for the small batch pressing. Still, the decarbed product had that chartreuse hue. This special darkness helps explain why Chad's plant manager wanted to alert us about what to his peeps was the unusual resulting taste profile. Samurai is an unusual cultivar. Robusto is the word that comes to mind. Sustaining. The final hemp in hemp mixture was also delightfully cloudy. That's because I asked the folks at Victory to leave our hemp seed oil unfiltered after pressing. Another way I like to sidestep the gold rush herd is to leave the plant's lignin in. I believe it has beneficial qualities. More than one industry professional advised me against this, saying it reduces the product's shelf life. Even if true, I'm fine with that. In fact, I hype it. On the label, I recommend storing hemp in hemp in a cool place and using within 90 days. I even added a line reading, shake well, the goop, Lignin is good. These are just further reasons why it's so vital that you own and develop your own genetics. Just as every fine vintner cultivates her own distinct grapes, your taste will come only from your hemp. This concept of terroir is essential to the top shelf hemp craft model. Now we had our lipid base and what's more, all of it made its way up the slippery path to our kitchen without spilling. The charming remote spot was at a resort called the Woods Lodge that used to be a girls' camp called Camp Wihikawi. After spending an hour making sure we and all our surfaces and cookware were clean and up to code, we were ready to heat 20 pounds of flour in those jumbo pasta pots full of seed oil. Thus begins decarboxylation. I had brought 50 pounds of flour from the barn, incidentally, once I had got off my nalgas and learned how to skate across its sheer floor, long, relaxed as possible strokes. That was just in case we got carried away and wanted to bottle a surplus for a future run, or more likely whenever I am in a kitchen, because stuff boiled over and we needed to repeat a step. For the kids who didn't come of age under prohibition, can I just say what a pleasure it is to drive around in a rental car with out-of-state plates toting the pound fragrant cannabis flower with nary a worry about law enforcement attention? Cannabis legalization overall is a fantastic development for the American economy and safety. And Vermont's embrace of it at all THC levels has provided peace of mind on numerous occasions including during a chat for that first processing day with a state trooper. 
He wanted to let me know that my rental car's running lights weren't on. He couldn't have cared less about the bin of terpenes and trichomes in the back seat, on my sweater, and on the dashboard. I thought, as I pulled on my apron, that Vermont is the westest state east of the Mississippi. Just remember, decider, the South Dakotas, New Jerseys, and Mississippis of the world, your residents have cannabinoid systems, too. Double-double toil and entourage effect. Decarboxylation aficionados all have their favorite modes. The process is a rarity in modern life, both a science and an art. Colin and Aaron usually heat the flour for their products in an oven before getting shamanistic in the cauldron in order to reduce processing time. Myself, I'm as old school as it gets. For the 2019 batch, I filled two giant pots with hemp seed oil, added pounds of flour to each, slowly raised the temperature, and decarbed at a steady 220 degrees Fahrenheit for three hours. This reflected a lowering of temperature and increasing of processing time from the 90 minutes at 230 degrees Fahrenheit I had been running. I did that because hemp seed oil starts losing some of its nutritive properties at 190 degrees Fahrenheit, and I didn't want to cook out the goodness. A good portion of each three-ounce bottle would contain pure hemp seed oil heated to 185 degrees Fahrenheit, so I wasn't too worried. Plus, as of 2019, the product wasn't yet intended as food. But in discussing decarb efficacy with colleagues, I thought longer heating at a lower temperature was worth exploring. I'm a happy man when I'm stirring a cauldron, breathing in the essence of cannabinoids for 180 minutes. I think I might have some druidic lineage. Watch me try to stop smiling for 10 seconds, I said to the 30-year-old Erin, who was stirring one of her salve pots with a giant ladle next to me. That's the turf, she said, waving a couple of begloved fingers in front of my face. Your body's getting ready for you to introduce cannabinoid receptors. Are one of the coolest parts of the decarb process for me is watching the carbon molecules start bubbling off the flour and seed oil mixture. These are smaller or numerous bubbles than you see in actual boiling, more like the tiny ones that bubble off your carbonated beverage on a summer day. I'm extremely grateful to Bill Althaus for teaching me to look for this distinct bubbling pattern way back when he was still tired from my saxophone wake-up call because it's a great way of ensuring that your concoction doesn't get too hot. That's important because when you get beyond decarb temps and into the boiling range, all of your cannabinoids can get transformed into CBN. That isn't necessarily bad if a CBN-enhanced product is your goal, as it is in some of Aaron and Collins' products. CBN is often used for pain reduction or as a sleep aid. But since I was endeavoring to highlight all of Samurai's cannabinoids and terpenes, the reality was that there in the Hilltop commercial kitchen, with yet more snow socking us in, one of us had to keep stirring and watching our thermometers the whole time, vigilantly. It can be a fine line once you're approaching that 225 to 230 degree Fahrenheit degree range. Terpenes, in particular, can be fragile at these temperatures. If one of us wasn't on stirring duty, she was dashing around, preparing bottles, working on the salve product, or cleaning up after my latest spill. Before I knew it, we were done. When the timer went off and the mixture felt and tasted ready, we punched out. Right and early the next morning, all of us still in a turped out state of mind, Colin taught me a great time-saving bottling tip. Though a relative youngster, he has a decade of food service management experience under his belt. He explained that if we hot-bottled, meaning jarred our product above 185 degrees Fahrenheit, we'd be pasteurizing as we went. This saved hours on the 1,000-unit run because in previous years, I'd washed, dried, and heated all the small maple syrup bottles before filling them. Like every part of the hemp season, like every part of life, Processing has a lot of karma embedded in it. I am still bubbling over with gratitude now, several months later, as I relate that every step of this batch of hemp in hemp bottling went just right. The decarbing process came off without a hitch, and on bottling day, I spilled only a few gallons of product. 
The low spill rate was largely thanks to the handy hobbit-sized funnels we used. Aaron and Colin's moon cycle salve also went smooth as butter. Literally. Try some. While we were toting those 100 boxes full of bottled cannabinoid super spring through the snow, all of it but organic. I was excited about getting the stuff out to the world. But first and foremost, the finds back home on the Funky Butte Ranch, the people who are irreplaceable to me, were all set in the hemp category of our superfood health maintenance regimen for a year. Another primeval box checked off for this aspiring neo-rugged individualist. From a crop I grew. After loading the rental car to the sprockets and skidding down the mountain for the last time, I shipped off a couple of boxes of both my product and Colin and Aaron's to Colorado, where they would be waiting for me at my speaking event and book signing a week later, and I sent a few bottles off for cannabinoid testing. They passed. Colin and Aaron snarfed some of the ceiling-high stack of pizzas I'd brought in appreciation for their generosity of time, stirring muscles, and knowledge, and then dashed back to the sugar house. Carrie and I reconnoitered and drove a couple of hours north to the Orwell, Vermont Library to give a talk to interested farmers near the Canadian border. Back in Northfield, much later that second sleepless evening, a gorgeous one, the icy sky having cleared to reveal a glitter box of stars, we all converged at Chateau Giguere. Carrie opened the bottle of still warm hemp and hemp I had given him and poured generous portions in brandy glasses for the whole family. To USDA-certified organic craft cannabis was my toast. The 2018 vintage tasted scrumptious, even better than the first batch, was the uniform consensus. Carrie's observation was that the nutty finish reminded him of the polyphenols one tastes in high-end olive oils. It's possible the judges were biased. This is a stout family when it comes to beer, a grade-A very dark maple syrup bunch. Also, we had all grown the crop we were enjoying together. I didn't overthink it. I finished my shot of hemp and hemp and then got started on the maple syrup. I wound up returning my rental car in New Hampshire, which had only 76 miles on it when I picked it up in Albany, in a very different condition from its original one. The fellow at the airport return department seemed unsurprised and unperturbed Maybe they had hemp farmers coming through here all the time. Regardless, I was grateful that the smell and back road grime didn't raise eyebrows. Even the travel nightmare was going as well as could be expected. As I checked in for my return to the West, I thought some more about scaling up. In 2019, three people's lives were dominated by this microprocessing run for two full days. Any regulated workplace, our punched-in hours would really have added up to three days or two with a ton of overtime, not counting the 10 months of work that preceded processing, all for 1,000 units. I couldn't help wondering what the whole hemp cycle would look like now that I would be working with colleagues with a built-in retail outlet based in Arizona Kim Williams and Dana Ray Zygmunt were my new hemp and hemp partners. These two women were proven righteous humans whom I've known for years. They came from medical backgrounds, and some would say, most relevantly, they had an existing shop for our product line in the Tucson Health Center called Tumbleweeds. They founded and had operated for seven years. Around the time I was processing in Vermont in 2019, Kim dropped casually that she believed interest in hemp and hemp at tumbleweeds would reside in the 200 bottles a month range, conservatively. Yowzer. That would mean monthly sales at 20% of current annual sales at one location. Soon, I was really going to have to turn pro. I'd already dealt with hemp permit paperwork, organic certification, and, you know, growing fine crops. But food-grade certification and distribution chain of custody rules hovered on the horizon. I hope then and still hope we can avoid the homogenization that so often erodes what's awesome about craft products when they scale up and need to meet different regulatory guidelines. All right. Doug Fine, everybody, American Hemp Farm.
adventures and misadventures in the cannabis trade. Uh, we'll hear more about that later. Thank you for tuning in and listening to uh, our show today. Uh, next week, I believe we have some guests on. We will post those on the website, tumbleweedshealthcenter.com. Be sure to check it out. And if you want to get certified, give us a call, 528 uh, Most importantly, be kind out there to everybody. It's uh, just a wacky world right now. And stay safe and be smart, be safe, and educate. Have a great day, everybody. Happy Wednesday, Wednesday. There we go. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.